Welcome to Mission View. We're glad that we could get together. Isn't it great to be in God's house for us just to worship, worship together? And we, this becomes God's house. This is just brick and mortar. This is just seats. But it becomes God's house when we have that opportunity as fellow believers and worshipers in Christ for us to get together and for us to worship. We've had our call to worship, so to speak. If you listen to the words of the song, everything that we're doing is very intentional. There is a call for us to praise the name of God. There is only one God, one true living God. His name is Yahweh in the Old Testament. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Christ, the Messiah, and that is the one that we are to worship. We also, in our call to worship, we have a plea that we would lay our lives down before God, that we would submit ourselves to him, that each one of us would say, okay, God, I'm in your hands. You do with me as you want. You take me where you want. I will be your instrument to be used for you anywhere you want. In my community, in the world where you want to send me, I am available to you. And now we're going to take time to contemplate, contemplate God's word. We're going to open up in Proverbs chapter 3, and after we're done contemplating, you're going to have an opportunity to respond. You can respond by in your giving and giving towards the mission of Mission View, God's mission. And you also have a chance to respond just in a heart of worship before God. So let's contemplate God's word. If you'll open up in Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to be taking a look at verses 21 to 25. Now, I know probably each of you have had the same experience that my wife and I have had. If you move into a neighborhood, there seems to always be that one individual that gets annoyed with the little things in life. You know who that person is. You know what I'm talking about. Now, we currently have a neighbor that kind of gets annoyed with uh, having, uh, not having a peaceful neighborhood. Now, we have a pretty peaceful neighborhood where we live, but he is obsessed with having a peaceful neighborhood because, you know, he came out of a neighborhood where it was always loud, traffic, people beeping all the time. And so he really gets annoyed when there's things that disrupts this peace and harmony for him. Now, it just so happens that there is an individual in our neighborhood that loves to drive his car. He's a younger guy, and he loves to drive with his base amp all on full. And you know that this guy is coming because long before his car gets to your house, the knickknacks on your shelf start rattling. You know that person, okay? They just love it booming and blaring. And so he goes by, and it just gets, it just grates at my neighbor. In fact, he has called the police so many times to complain about this individual. That's just, you know, it annoys him. Now, another thing that I know annoys my neighbor is also when dogs do their business in his yard. Now, you got to understand, his yard is like a fairway. It's like Firestone Country Club. You see the checkered lines across his lines. They are just meticulous. They are perfect. They're right where they should be. And when you work that hard on your lawn and somebody's neighbor dog comes over to you, do their business in your front yard, that kind of gets you upset. Now, these are the things that get them upset. Now, wouldn't you know that we have another neighbor right across the street who doesn't really keep his dog 
on his leash. His name is George. The dog's name is George. Now, George wanders around the neighborhood. He's like everybody's dog. Now, George is kind of an ugly mutt. He has something hanging from his body. I'm not certain what it is. I think it's a goiter. Um, it, it's horrible. But if that goiter doesn't kill him, I think our neighbor will. I think he's going to run over him because he constantly poos in his yard. Now, these are the kind of things that just annoys my neighbor. Now, I can sympathize with him. I can empathize knowing that, you know, you put so much into peace and so much into your yard, you just want to have a nice neighborhood. Now, I can understand because I think in my heart before I was saved, I kind of was the same way. Now, it wasn't the same problems, but I think in my heart I was the same way. Before I knew Christ, I was obsessed with one thing. My things, my time, my responsibilities, and my comforts and my happiness. That's what I was consumed with. What I couldn't see is that I was consumed with myself, really. I was just consumed with me. Now, I thought, because I grew up religiously, that I grew up under the golden rule, that you were to do unto your others as you would have them do unto you. And I thought in my mind that I was doing a pretty good job of putting other people first. Now I look back in reflection, I think, no, I was self-absorbed. All I cared about was me. But there was a day that I was introduced to the scriptures, and I started going through the Bible for the very first time and reading. That's how I came to faith in Christ. I actually started reading the Bible, and I had a teacher that was constantly pushing me to read the Bible and discover who Jesus was and what it means. And it was at some point, God removed the scales from my eyes, and I, I, I realized how self-centered I was. And that's when I said, Lord, I got to die to myself. I want you to take and transform this individual. And since that point, it has been a, it's, been a, it's been a process, a journey of transformation. And I want you to know I am no longer selfish whatsoever. Okay, so I am. Uh, I still deal with that. But the reality is the Holy Spirit has put his spirit inside of me, and he is constantly transforming. Say, oh, Steve, that's not, that's not what I want. That's not the character of Christ. I want to change that in you. I want to do this work. And it's been a process of transformation, and God's, uh, God has gotten me to the place where he has pointed out that there are other people with scales on their eyes but that can't see, that can't see their own selfishness. And I believe what he wants is for me to be a person of influence in their life, just like he wants you to be a person of influence with the people that are around you. In Proverbs chapter 3, that's exactly what Solomon is going to be dealing with with his son. He is saying, son, we've talked about how important it is to be in, your word, in, in the Word of God and how important it is for you to trust God. Two weeks ago, we talked about just trusting God, trusting in His uh, leadership, trusting God's heart, trusting God's wisdom, trusting God's honor, trusting God's correction in our life. He says, Solomon, this is what I want to do, and there's benefits to you as a result of that. Solomon's also talked to his son about getting connected 
with wisdom. We talked about that last week. And that when you are connected to God's wisdom, God's word, kind of like an umbilical cord to the life source, and when you do that, all of a sudden, God starts doing things in your life. He starts enriching you. He starts giving you a greater quality of life. He walks you down a road of peace. He pumps vitality into your life. And you have such a confidence in the living God who is the creator of the universe. Solomon has talked about trusting God. He has talked about getting connected to God's wisdom. And now he is going to tell his son, now I want you, with all of this, to be an influence on people. And he's going to focus a lot on the neighbor and how he is to have an influence on his neighbor. And he's going to be dealing with that in our passage today. And I believe he's doing that because every person that is a follower of God who's had the scales removed is to have a place of stability and influence in those that are around when we take care of this relationship with God, then it means that we're going to have to work on being that influence that he has designed us to be. Let's pray that God would allow everyone in Mission View to be that kind of influence and in the church at large. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use your word to help us to see the kind of influence that you want us to have in this life. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that have a platform, a platform of stability, a platform of influence. And I pray that you would use your word to, to prick our heart, to help us to see what you want us to see. And I pray that you would do that in a very special way today. In Christ's name, amen. Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 21. Our outline is very simple. There's a platform of stability and a platform of influence. Let's talk about having the, in, the stability that leads to the influence. Take a look at verse 21. He says, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. This is what I want you to keep your eyes on. I want you to keep your eyes on wisdom and discretion, what he has already been talking about. Now, this verse is a bit of a transition verse and he is urging his son to going from hearing about all the blessings associated with, 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 the, uh, with wisdom to now grabbing hold of it. He says, I want you to experience it. I want you to apply it personally in your life. It's kind of like the father that describes to his family this brand new vacation spot. Oh, this vacation spot is going to be great. I'd been there once before, and he's describing it to his kids, and they're getting excited about it, and the concepts are running through his, their minds, but they've never experienced it. And this is what Solomon wants. He says, I don't want them to just be concepts in your mind. I want you to grab hold of it. I want you to utilize it in your life on a personal basis. And so you get to the vacation spot, and you say, okay, kids, it's everything. Everything I told you, go get it. Go enjoy. Enjoy the waves. Enjoy all the things that I talked to you about. And then they finally realize what it's all about. This is what Solomon wants for each of us. He doesn't want it to be up here. He wants it to be in our life. He wants it to be in the application of our life. And so as we gather here today, I realize just as with Solomon's son, we have a choice before us. Are we going to utilize the blessings that God has given us through his word, 
Or are they just going to be concepts? Are they just going to be concepts? He wants them to be applied. Now look at verses 22 through 26. What Solomon is going to do is he is going to give four distinct benefits that come as a result of enjoying wisdom in his life. In a way, these four benefits are a summary of the first 20 verses, so we're not going to go to, through them in detail, but we're going to read them, and I'm just going to point them out. In fact, I'll have you underline a few things if you mark up your Bible. Verse 22, and they, talking about wisdom and discretion, will be life for your soul. Underscore the word life for your soul. And adornments for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, underscore the word securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. You will lie down. Your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the, or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence, underscore the word confidence, and will keep your foot from being caught. Stop right there. Four things he says. Verse 22, you're going to have life for your soul. The benefit of a, of a follower of God who applies God's word, you're going to have life. You're going to have energized life in your heart. You're going to be energized from within. Number two, you're going to have sure footing in your life, a solid direction based on verse 23. Verse 24, you're going to have peaceful sleep. Now, this has to be my wife's favorite verse because she loves sleep. She's not a lazy person, but she loves good sleep. She gets better sleep than I do. It says, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Now, what's he talking about? He is saying because you have such a greater trust in God, you don't go to, to bed with anxiety and fear in your heart. This is why my wife is better in this area than I am. I need to learn in trusting God because I become a little bit more anxious than she does. But he is saying this is a benefit. You will have a peaceful sleep and forth, you're going to have confidence. You're going to have confidence in your future. It's a boldness that comes from doing what's right. Now, here's what I like about this passage. What I like is that these things are not theories. This list is not a theory to the people in this room. There are so many of you, as I've gotten to know a lot of people in this room, that you, I know, are energized. There is something pumping in your heart because you want so badly for God to be exalted in your life. You have a solid direction in your life. You have a fearless life because you're trusting in God. And there's a boldness that stems from your life in the way that you're living it. Sure, you still have problems. Sure, you still have time schedule issues. Sure, you have, uh, have to make cognitive decisions to follow after God. But here's what I know for many people in this room. You're connecting to God through his wisdom. You're spending time alone with God on a regular basis. You're seeking God's face when, when you have problems. You're trying to search out the scriptures for the answers when you're trying to determine the direction in your life. You're looking for that way of escape from that temptation based on drawing near to God. And you are the person that has other people holding you accountable. I love the fact that so many in this room are in that place. Not everybody. 
Not everybody has that confidence. But for those that are doing that, guess what? Other people are looking to you. You see, you have a stability that others are looking for in the midst of their crisis. You can say that you have a platform of stability that others can grab hold of. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you felt like you were drowning? I'm not saying metaphorically. I'm saying you were actually drowning. I can remember as a kid at a pool getting dunked, and all of a sudden I feel like I am just about to go out, and I am grasping for anything solid to hold on to. It's a horrible feeling. Now, when you're in this situation, you will hold on to anything. My friends, the people in this world, they're in that situation. They're drowning in their problems. And my desire as your pastor is that every single person would be here, that you would be in such a place that you would be someone solid, that you could hold, that they could grasp onto you, that you could be that rock that they can hold onto because you're standing upon the rock of Christ. Masses of people are all around us in our society and they're drowning in their problems. And they need somebody that they can grab hold onto when that time comes. Are you near enough? And the reason that they can grasp hold of you is because you are standing upon the rock of Christ. I love Isaiah 26. It says this. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. Are you the rock that other people can hold on to? Or maybe today... You need a rock. Maybe you feel like you're drowning. I want you to know there's somebody around you that you can say, hey, I need some help. Come alongside of me. Help me. See, this is what Solomon's trying to get across to his son. He wants him to have stability. But notice that stability leads to influence in the next few verses. In the remaining verses of this chapter, Solomon transitions and he focuses on relationships. Now he's going to give five negative commands. Look at verse 27. Do not. Verse 28. Do not. Verse 29. Do not. Verse 30. Do not. Verse 31. Do not. Now you would think it's a negative message, but with the negative message, he's actually going to teach his son positive principles about how he is to interact in human relationships. And by the end of the chapter, he is going to give him what he should be pursuing in those relationships. Now by making these statements, Solomon is giving, getting his son to evaluate his influence on people. No longer is the focus in this chapter on him applying wisdom to his life. He's already done that. Now he says, I want you to apply it in this. And this is why he can do that. When we have this vertical relationship, when we are connected with God, it is logical that we are to now reach out to those that are around us. And this is what Solomon is trying to get across to his son. Now, he is going to, out of these negative principles, actually give three really positive principles that we can apply to ourselves. Let's take a look at the first negative. The first negative is do not withhold good from your neighbor. Take a look at verse 27 and 28. 
He says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I'll give it to you. When you have it with you, you have the power to meet that need right now. Now, the positive principle here is that you're to do right by people. That's what's implied. Solomon, I don't want you to withhold good from... Solomon's son, I don't want you to hold good from people. I want you to do right by them. Now, Solomon knew what was the culture. He knew that in this culture, it was common for people to take advantage of another person, for a worker to take advantage of a co-worker, or an employer to take advantage of an employee. He said, I don't want that. That's not in God's economy. That's not your platform of influence. You're to be different. But I think it goes beyond that. I actually think that he is talking about how you're to take care of the needs of the poor in the community. It is, I have given it to you you so that you can bless those other people. And what Solomon wants for his son is for him to be a person of influence by loving those that have less and to be that beacon of light for God. Now we see the heart of God in so many places in the scriptures where he affirms this kind of behavior. Listen to this in Leviticus 19. This is what God says, instruction to the people of Israel. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your fields right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleaning after the harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Do you hear the heart of God? This is the way I want you to take care of needs. Now, any capitalist would say, well, that's a waste of money. I mean, I am going to gather all my crops all the way to the edges because that's money in the bank for me. But God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you, business owners, those of you that own the vineyard, I want you to leave a portion. I want you, in a sense, to tithe on your business so that you can use that to meet the needs of those that are around you. Now notice that this isn't a welfare system. It's not just a handout. The people actually have to go and gather what's left. They have to work for it. But God's saying, this is my plan in my economy, and I want you to be that kind of influence. And what Solomon is saying to his son is essentially this. If you withhold good from a person in need, you are keeping something that belongs to that person because God gave it to you to bless that individual. Yes, it belongs to them by virtue of their need. Jesus put it in a different way. He said, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the principle. We're to do right by those that have needs, especially when we have it within our power to do that. The question is, is my eyes open? Are my eyes open to those needs, and am I willing to use my resources in order to do that kind of thing? When we do, we have a platform of influence. Let's go to the second negative that he gives in verse 29 through 30. He says, do not harm your neighbor. Look at verse 29. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. 
Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Now here's the principle. The negative is don't harm your neighbor, but the implied positive is you're to love them. Love your neighbor. Solomon knew that it was common for people to develop an attitude towards their neighbor, and thus they stir up strife with that neighbor. Here we see the struggle between the human nature and the divine nature. The human nature says, my neighbor annoys me, so therefore I will, I will let them know that they annoy me. But the divine nature says, I will take the high road, and I will let love cover it, and I am not going to allow that to bother me. I am going to allow the greater need of their heart be on my mind. Now, my friends, this is very practical for you and I because everyone in this room has a neighbor, whether it's somebody you work with, someone in your neighborhood, someone that's in your recreation, but you have somebody that drives you crazy. You know you do. I do. We have those people. And it doesn't matter whether they're a churchgoer or whether they're far from God. Galatians 6.10 says, Do good to all people, especially to those who belong, who belong to the family of believers. See, the choice is with us every single day. Am I going to show kindness? Or I'm going to develop an attitude towards that person? You say, Steve, well, you just don't know the idiot that I work with. You don't know the problems that I have. He is such a moron. Well, yeah, I don't know the seer situation. But here's what I do know. We have a choice. Do you want a platform of influence? Or do you want a platform of revenge? In God's economy, he's saying, this is it. This is, this is where it hits the reality it's going to come in the way you deal with people that are lost people, that don't know Christ, that don't know God, and it's not going to be easy. But I want you to be a person of influence. Now look at the last negative that he gives in verse 31. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose his way. Now he's going to give a positive principle in a minute, but let's evaluate this. This last prohibition, Solomon identifies a road some choose to go down where they actually envy evil actions. Now, it may not be the violence that they admire, but rather the apparent reward that evil people enjoy. And you say, well, Steve, why would anybody envy evil people? We do it all the time. Every movie that you like going to watch has a probably, we don't call them evil, but it's somebody that does a whole lot of things that would be dishonoring to God, but we like the end result. It's the Robin Hood syndrome. Yeah, he, yeah, he did some things that were kind of unethical, but I like the fact that the poor are taken care of in the end. The end justifies the means. We're going to stick it to the man. It's all that kind of attitude that you see in God saying, no, 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 no. That's not my economy. That's not the way I work here. I work on a whole different plane. I'm not like that. And Solomon, this is what I want of you. And then he goes in the last few verses and says, in contrast, here's what evil does, but this is what good does. Look at what he says. Verse 32. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright, underscore that word, are his confidence. 
Verse 33, the Lord curses on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Underscore the word righteous. Verse 34, towards the scorner, he is scornful, but to the humble, underscore the word humble, he gives favor. Verse 35, the wise will inherit honor, underscore honor, but the fool gets disgrace. You see, there's four things here that he is saying, okay, this is your platform. Number one, it's upright character. It is an upright character because God is flowing through you because you're trusting God, because you're connected with God. His character should start flowing through you. Your integrity should be seen everywhere that you go in the business place. When you think nobody's looking at you, guess what? There's somebody that knows it's at least God, but there's probably somebody else that's going to see it as well. And he is saying, I want upright character. That's the platform of influence that I want in your life. Second, righteous living. He says, I want you to be righteous. The root word for righteous is right. I want you to do what's right. What do we know is right? This is right. The character of God is right. When that flows through us, we do right by other people, and we are humble, as verse 34 says. In other words, we're putting God first. We're putting other people first. Now, that's not exactly the, the formula that you're going to have in some self-help books that are going to tell you how to succeed and rise up the corporate ladder. I don't think they're going to say it's just going to be upright character. It's going to be righteous and by putting other people first. That's not going to happen. But this is the way it is with God. And guess what happens? Verse 35 happens. You become a person that's honored. You become the person that people look to. Dear church, I believe that God is giving us a critical message as how we are to reach out to the world around us personally and as a church. We are, and this is a summary of our passage, we're to do right by people. We are to love them unconditionally. And we are to live upright, righteously, and humble. And when we do those things, we will be honored in the eyes of those individuals that are around us. This applies to us personally, but it also applies to us as Mission View. Let me put it this way. Let's say you go to work for a corporation and you want to do the best you can for that corporation. You believe in their mission. You believe what they're doing. And you want to be the best employee of that corporation. And so you work hard. You are ethical. Now, if every person in that company has the same perspective and you got all the people in that company that are doing the same thing, guess what? The company rises up as an emblem of strength within a community community, an emblem of respect and honor within that community. Now, I think, practically speaking, the Hoover Company was that years ago for the people in this community. There were individuals that believed in what the mission was. And, and it was, it's incredible. It blows my mind that it was all about a vacuum cleaner that sucks dirt. I mean, they believed in it, though. It's this product, and individuals grew in this mission, and it became a place where everybody was building this name. But guess what? That can break down. That can deteriorate over time. Now, let's apply it individually and to the church. 
as a believer in Christ, as a Christ follower, we're to do our best to love our families, to conduct ourselves in, our, in love in our workplace and in our neighborhood. And as we do that and we believe in that mission that God has given us and each individual in the church at Mission View Church does that, guess what happens? Mission View Church rises up as an emblem of strength within a community. It is somebody that people outside can look at it. And when they look at it, they don't look at Hoover High School or a building, they look at individuals. They say, oh, that's Kristen Guthrie's church. Oh, that, isn't that the place that Tim and Aaron Griffith go? Oh, isn't that where Linda and, and Randy Smith, who are involved in our, in our neighborhood, aren't they leaders in that church? When they see Mission View, they see you. They see you because you become that emblem of strength. Now take it a step further. We're not just building Mission View. We're building the body of Christ. And when that happens at Mission View, when that happens at the chapel in North Canton, when that happens at River Tree, when that happens at First Christian Church, when it happens at First Friends, when it happens at New Point, all of a sudden, collectively, what we're doing is we're exalting and building the name of the church, Jesus Christ, as the head. And that is our job. No longer for this reason are we going to harbor any ill feelings towards those that preach the gospel. That's not going to come at this ministry. What we're going to do is we're going to pray for the success of the body of Christ because that's what we are all about. We are to do that. But here's the caution. Just like with any company, we can lose our platform of influence. We can lose our platform of influence. Things begin to break down and deteriorate when we forget our mission and we resort to the natural ways and fleshly ways of operating where we withhold good from our neighbor, where we develop an attitude towards those that are around us, and we start bickering and criticizing, and when they fail, we start feeling better about ourselves because that church is failing. No, no, we can't do that because what we are is we are a family. We are a much bigger family than just Mission View, but we are brothers and sisters in Christ building up this thing called the body of Christ. We are to do it individually. We are to do it collectively. And as we close out our message portion of this passage, I want to challenge you in two ways. I want to challenge you to build your core, and I want to challenge you to build the church. Let's look at building the core. You say, what in the world do you mean, Steve, build your core? Well, if you went to a personal trainer, he would tell you, he or she would tell you immediately that if you want to get in shape, you got to build this area here. Your stomach muscles, your back muscles, you have to build that core because everything else is dependent upon it. Spiritually speaking, there is a core development that God wants. Jesus said just before he ascended, he says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Then he gave a very specific directive right before he ascended in Acts 1.8. He says, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to give you power to be my witnesses. And you're to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. 
Now I can imagine a Jew sitting there thinking, Jerusalem, I live in Jerusalem. I'm to be a witness in all of Jerusalem? Really? Me alone? No, he's talking about all believers. But what he was saying to that believer is that you, has, you have a sphere of influence or a circle of responsibility. This is my terminology, core, it's E-O-R, circle of responsibility. It's the field that God's given you. It's the field of people that you work with. It's the people that you are in, in, neighborhoods, uh, in a neighborhood with. It's the people that are all around you that you socialize. That's your field. And what I want you to do personally is I want you to plant seeds in that field. I want you to cultivate that field. I want you to pray over that field. I want you to water that field. And guess what? In due time, I will cause the growth. I will cause the growth as the living God, as the one who brings about the harvest. But your responsibility is to build your circle of responsibility, your core. Now, what are we to do on the second part? We are to build the church. Now, your part of building the church is being that individual that builds your core, first of all. But there's going to be times that as a church, corporately, we're going to do things in our community as a representative of that community. This summer, we've been doing three family blasts. We've been doing family blast activities, and there's been all kinds of things that have been happening in those family blasts where we've had a chance to interact with people. We have our last family blast that's going to be this Friday. We still need 16 volunteers. We also have a family film night at the library. We need five volunteers there. But I want you to know why we do it. When we started Mission View last year, we did a demographic study of our community. And this is what we found out from our community. Number one priority of our community is family. 91.8% said that they are fighting for traditional values within this community. That's within a five-mile radius of here. But the thing that battles against that value is simply this, that people are stressed out, they're overworked, and they have less time to spend with their family. Now, there's a spiritual nature in all of this as well because there are people in our community that believe in God. 84% of the people say that they have some belief in a generic God, but less than 10% of our community actually goes to any church whatsoever or an evangelical church that proclaims the, or teaches the Word of God because they have a bad taste in their mouth towards church. And most people in our community would say family is the hill we're going to die on. My friends, this is why we do what we do. And your help in doing these family blasts, and that's not just the family blast, it's feeding the teachers throughout the year. It's doing work projects in the community. It's, it's doing things over at the Hoover facility. We are to be that representative. As we close out our service, I want to take you back to the illustration that I gave in terms of people sinking down. There are people that are sinking down all around us, and, and we have to see people in that light. And if we are standing upon the rock and we are reaching out and we are offering our hand to those individuals, if we're close enough in these situations, then they will have someone to hold on to. We are, in a sense, to be a brother and a sister to our community. 
Mitch is going to close out with a song that's meant to be kind of motivational to us and for us to think about our community. Here's the, the lyrics of the song. It says, Ramblers in the wilderness, we can't see what we need. Get a little rest from the searching. Get a little worn down in between. Sounds like our world. Like, like a bull chasing a matador in the, is the man left to his own schemes. Everybody needs somebody beside them, shining like a lighthouse from the sea. That's what we're to do. Brother, let me be your shelter. I'll never leave you alone. I can't be the one. I can be the one you call when you're low. Brother, let me be your fortress when the night winds are driving on. Be the one to light the way and bring you home. My friends, do you have that platform of influence? Or maybe today you need to be rescued. Either way, you're in the right place.